0: What is going on sports fans and welcome into season 4, episode 18 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor, and we've got an absolutely stacked show for you this week. NFL week 1 is in the books. We give you the fastest 5 minutes in football recap and talk about some of my key takeaways from week 1 including the Cleveland Browns starting 1 and 0 for the first time in 18 years. We also preview NFL week 2 give you our game picks for week two of the NFL season and more. We also talk some MLB baseball, the playoff push heating up. There's only about 22 games left in the season, and the Cleveland Guardians have opened up a three-game lead on the White Sox and a five-game lead on the Twins. I'll update you on the Guardians' magic number, as well as what I think they need to do, and when realistically I can see this Guardians team Wrapping up the Central Division. We also talked some college football. A week filled with upsets in college football last week. Three top 10 teams go down. We update the top 10 rankings in college football. Recap some of the craziness that happened last weekend. And preview this weekend as we get set for almost the start of conference play in college football. So we've got a lot, a lot to get to. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you want to make your very own podcast, here's what you need to do. You need to download the free Anchor app from the App Store or Google Play Store today or go online to anchor.fm. We're going to hear an ad from Anchor in this episode, but we're very appreciative of Anchor and all they do for us to let us produce this podcast week in and week out. All right, today is Wednesday, September 14th. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Season 4, Episode 18 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We're going to get to the fastest five minutes in football shortly, but first, we have to dedicate this episode to the one and only Queen Elizabeth of England, who we lost last week. I dedicated my Week 1 Fantasy Football win in my... uh, tv2 fantasy league to queen elizabeth we got the win for queen elizabeth but just want to dedicate this episode to her as well So, Lizzie, uh, Queen Elizabeth, if you're listening to this up there or down there, wherever you're at, um, you know, this is a master class in podcasting. Put on for the queen. All right. With that being said, today is Wednesday, September 14th. It's time to recap week one. <coughs> We start with Monday Night Football, where Mr. Unlimited looked to ride with Broncos country, but the 12th man in Seattle had a different idea. Okay, let me get this straight, Denver. You give up a record haul of picks and players to get Russell Wilson, and then in his very first game, in his old stomping grounds, in primetime, with the game on the line, you try a 64-yard field goal with Brandon McManus? Huh? Huh? Maybe the Broncos should have given all those picks to Baltimore for Justin Tucker instead. And Nathaniel Hackett put on a Hugh Jackson-esque time management performance at the end of the game. And he might be the first head coach to ever land on the hot seat after only one game. But give Geno Smith his props. He waited eight years in between week one starts. And all he did was shut up everyone who thought the Seahawks were joking about him being the starter. They wrote Geno Smith off, but he didn't write back. As the Seahawks fly to a win, 17 to 16. We go to Jerry World in Dallas, where the GOAT took on the America's team. The NFL is so unpredictable that it can schedule the first ever week one meeting between the two top scoring offenses from the prior season and get a field goal riddled primetime snooze fest. But Dallas was in for a rude awakening, and their season could be potentially over as Dak Prescott hurt his throwing hand in the fourth quarter and has an injured thumb. Jerry Jones says he needs surgery, which sounds like Dak will be sidelined six to eight weeks, just long enough for the Cowboys to fall way behind in a division that after only one week looks more competitive than previously thought. If Dallas with Dak could only muster the second worst week one scoring output in franchise history, what happens if they have to go an extended period with the Maction's Zone Cooper Rush running the offense? Football season in Dallas might be over before it just got started. As the Buccaneers and Tom Brady win 19-13. We go to Englewood where the Raiders took on the Chargers. And it was a back and forth battle as Justin Herbert threw three touchdowns and looked to kick off his MVP campaign. While Derek Carr made far too many mistakes for a team that just signed Devontae Adams for a guy not playing with a grudge against his old team, Khalil Mack sure did wreck his buddy Derek Carr this game seems like a microcosm of what football in Las Vegas could be this season, Carr putting up some nice stats throwing to his buddy Devontae Adams, but the Raiders coming up on the losing end of the proverbial AFC West stick, as the Chargers win 24-19 to we go to Glendale Arizona, and there are some things that are certain in life death, taxes, and Patrick Mahomes balling out of his mind in week one. And here's another sure thing. Cliff Kingsbury is getting fired. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. As Pat Mahomes reminds America, he's still the best quarterback in football with a five touchdown performance in a 44-21 drubbing. The Chiefs beat the Cardinals. We go to Minnesota, where the land of the Vikings welcomed in Aaron Rodgers and... A bunch of JV receivers? Huh? Look, Aaron Rodgers is playing without his starting tackles and perhaps his best receiver. So I don't want to overblow this result, but I was very high on the Vikings and picked them to make the playoffs. But Aaron Rodgers threw his first pick against a division opponent since 2020 and got held without a touchdown and under 200 passing yards. It shows that Green Bay could be in for a long season. It also shows that the Vikings might be poised to seal the NFC North sooner rather than later. If Justin Jefferson can replicate Sunday's monster game in Philadelphia week two, I might just have to pick the Vikings to win the NFC North. As the Vikings start the Kevin O'Connell area with a bang and beat the Packers 23 to 7. We go to Tennessee in one of the shockers of the day. If Tyreek Hill thinks his coach has um intestinal fortitude, he should see what Brian Dable did in his debut. The games t- uh, Brian Dable threw away the game-tying extra point and went for the game-winning two-point conversion. It's something we saw backfire in Washington against the Giants, but it's a great way to win over a locker room desperate for quality leadership. If Big Blue can answer the big question at quarterback, I think the Giants can have a sneaky good year. With the healthy, healthy Saquon Barkley, who was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week, running with a chip on his shoulder, the Giants could be better than expected. Plus, you know it's not your day when Derrick Henry is out here getting hit by the Giants' defense. And the Tennessee Titans, led by Ryan Tannehill, blow the game. As the Giants, the G-Men, win 21-20. to We go to Washington In Landover, Maryland, where the Commanders welcomed in the Jags, of all the Week 1 debuts, Carson Wentz had the most on-brand. Only the Carson Wentz experience gives you two great touchdown passes sandwiched around interceptions on consecutive throws in a game in which he becomes the first Washington Commanders quarterback to throw for four touchdowns in his first game in the Burgundy and Gold. Keep the Tums handy, Commanders fans. The Carson Wentz roller coaster goes upside down as the Commanders win, 28 to 22. We go to the Meadowlands where the Ravens took on the Jets. Lamar Jackson is betting big on himself as he couldn't be, he couldn't agree to a contract extension with the Baltimore Ravens. So what better way to kick off this crucial crucial season than to throw three touchdowns to his much maligned receiving corps on a day when the vaunted Ravens rushing attack was held to just 63 yards. Consider this the first of many big games to come for Lamar Jackson, as the Ravens beat their old buddy Joe Flacco 24-9. We go to Carolina where the Browns welcomed in Baker Mayfield, who was off the leash in the Panthers. Baker Mayfield was literally paid by his former team to beat them, but it was a 58, but he came up 50, a 58-yard field goal short of his alleged mission to F the Browns up. Baker will have his moments, but this is going to be a long season for Carolina. Meanwhile, in Cleveland, it was their first week one win since 2004, which means it was the first time a 1-0 tweet could be tweeted since Twitter began in 2006. Cade York drives the ball through the uprights and makes those Baker Mayfield t-shirts about as worthless as anything. As the Cleveland Browns win 26-24. We go to Detroit where the Eagles and the Lions took, took place in a slugfest. I couldn't help but look at this game from this perspective. A.J. Brown had the fourth most receiving yards in a debut with a new team to lead a Philly offense that also rushed for over 200 yards and had four TDs, while Detroit hung right there with the Eagles by scoring touchdowns in all four quarters. It was a back-and-forth game, and what I saw from this game, the Eagles offense has elite Potential and the Eagles could surprise some people, not only winning the NFC East, but maybe even challenging for the conference. And the Lions will always fight till the end, no matter how big they get down. That's just a Dan Campbell way. As the Eagles win 38 to 35, we go to the Cincinnati where the Steelers took on the Bungles. It was a wild, wild game, and Joe Burrow got intercepted four times. So much for being the next Tom Brady. While Pittsburgh defense swarmed and T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick were making plays all over the field. It was a back-and-forth game that went to overtime and it looked like nobody wanted to win. As Chris Boswell and Evan McPherson traded missed field goals in overtime. But then Money Mitch Trubisky found Pat Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson to set up Chris Boswell's game-winning 53-yard field goal. This game was a wild victory for Pittsburgh, but it's also a reminder that Mike Tomlin's Steelers are not to be underestimated. But also, let's be real. Cincinnati gagged this one away to clinch the first year in the 21st century in which the two Super Bowl teams from the previous year each lost their season season opener. Super Bowl hangovers are real, as the Stillers win 23-20 in overtime. We go to Miami, where the Dolphins got off to one of the best starts I've seen. Remember when New England owned the NFC East? Well, the Patriots are now 6-8 in their last 14 AFC East games going back to the 2019 finale. And four of those six wins are over the Jets. Of course, Miami had the Pats, num- uh, Pats number well before. The Finns have won eight of their last ten meetings in South Beach. Mike McDaniels and Tua Tagovailoa look like they could be the next great young coach quarterback duo as the Dolphins win 20-7. We go to the slip and slide that was Soldier Field. And let me tell you. I could watch Justin Fields slide on the haters all day, but shame on the NFL for penalizing Chicago for wiping off the field. That field was almost unplayable. It was a monsoon on the worst turf besides FedEx Field in the National Football League. Trey Lance looked human, Justin Fields made some plays, and the Bears win 19-10. We go to Atlanta where, stop me if you heard this before, the Falcons had a big lead in the fourth quarter and lost the game. Someone tell Arthur Smith we can only write the obituary of someone who was alive. Atlanta hasn't been relevant since arrival and doesn't seem likely to ever be while he's at the helm. Also, give Jameis Winston some respect for that fourth quarter line. 13 of 16 for 212 yards and two TDs to lead New Orleans to victory in his first game back from a season ending injury. Winston, might just have me thinking the Saints could be a playoff team. We go to Houston where the Colts took on the Texans. And this game was wild. And we saw a tie in this game. That's all I got to say. The Texans owned the first half. The Colts owned the second half. And nobody owned overtime. If you play a game with no result, I'm not going to recap this. It's the Colts and the Texans tied 20-20. to We finished in L.A. where the Bills took on the Rams. For for whatever reason, Buffalo is the Super Bowl frontrunner. It's impressive that this was the fourth time in the last six games the Bills gave the punter the night off. Josh Allen has been clowning Jalen Ramsey for years, but Thursday night's rebuttal happened to be the second biggest beatdown of a defending champion in their opener. As the Bills show up the Rams 31-10. Week 1 is in the books, and that was the fastest five minutes in football brought to you by Anchor. And what a week 1 it was. Um, There were some boring games, like I mentioned, that Rams-Cowboys, not Rams-Cowboys, Buccaneers-Cowboys game was pretty, pretty boring. But across the board, especially in that late 1 p.m. hour, there were some crazy games. We had the tie going on between between the um, Texans and Colts. We had the Steelers and Bengals trying to tie um, in overtime, and the Steelers winning an absolutely wild game in which Joe Burrow threw four interceptions. And, of course, I was all dialed into the Browns-Panthers game. So let's start with that Browns-Panthers game. Um, I thought there were a lot of positives here for the Browns. I... Did pick the Panthers to win, even though I fully expected the Browns to win. Um, some positive takeaways I had for the Browns. Number one, we all knew that the running game was the strength of this Browns team. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, back fully healthy. And I think not seeing it all of last year, Browns fans, and heck, even Kevin Stefanski probably, forgot how good... Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are when they're on the field, A, at the same time, and B, when you can switch them out and have that one-two punch. As Nick Chubb ran for 141 yards against the Panthers defense, Kareem Hunt ran for about 46 yards, and he had a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown. So the the two-headed monsters of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt was crucial for the Browns. The offensive line did a fantastic job for the Browns. He had a nice performance from James Hudson, who is filling in at right tackle for Jack Conklin. He was able to protect Jacoby Brissett and open up some holes in the running game. Wyatt Teller and Joel Joel Petonio uh, are two of the best offensive linemen in football. I thought Ethan Pochich looked good. Jedrick Wills, I think, is getting a lot of slack on Twitter for almost no reason, in my opinion. The offensive line is the strength of this offense. That's another positive I saw from the Browns. Amari Cooper was a positive I saw for the Browns here. Um, he didn't have the numbers. I think he only had three catches for 17 yards or something along the lines of that. But he was getting open. And the good news for the Browns later in this season is when Deshaun Watson is playing and Amari Cooper's that open, it'll be a touchdown. And if you have receivers getting open early in the season for the Browns, that's a good sign. That was my other good sign. And then the defense. What what can we say about this defense? The defense was in incredible they were absolutely incredible Um, they did give up 24 points but they did give up a 75 yard pass to Robbie Anderson that was just total blown coverage by the Browns defense and then they also gave up another pass to the tight end that set up two of the Panthers touchdown drives if you take away those two blown coverages the Panthers only score 10 points Um, they were putting pressure on Baker Miles Garrett had two sacks Um, Grant Delpit had an interception it was, a, it was a good performance of the Browns' defense and Joe Woods. So all the talk this offseason, especially once we found out how long Deshaun Watson would be suspended for this Browns team, was what they need to do to win games. How they can you know tread water with Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback. And I thought they did a good job of that in week one. They got the running game working. Um, the offensive line was working. The defense was working. Cade uh, York was perfect. Um, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, uh, went 4-for-4, including the game-winning 58-yard field goal for Cade York, who looks like he's the first real-deal kicker the Browns have had since Phil Dawson, and the coaching was fine, and Jacoby Brissett, what did Jacoby Brissett do? Well, Jacoby Brissett didn't make mistakes, and that's really all he needed to do. Do I think... Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. Just comparing last year to this year. Probably when Baker's healthy, he's a lot better than Jacoby Brissett. But last year, the performance you got from Baker outside of week one and maybe half of week two was a guy throwing with an injured shoulder. Okay? And I do think Jacoby Brissett is as good as Baker was last year for the Browns. And Jacoby on Sunday didn't put up great numbers. He looks pretty... Below average most of the game, but he he was efficient, didn't turn the ball over, had command of the offense, and when the Panthers kicked that field goal to go up twenty four to twenty three with a minute and thir- a minute thirteen left, how many times were we in that situation with Baker and we could never win the game? Well, last week, Jacoby Brissett was in that situation; he got him into field goal range, and Cade York put it in, and the Browns win their first week one game since 2004 when I was 40 years old. It was just a very, very encouraging performance for the Browns, and the good news for the Browns is, you know, realistically, if they want to have a shot at the playoffs, I talked about this with Chauncey on my NFL preview episode, realistically, if they want a shot to make the playoffs, for as long as Deshaun Watson's out these first 11 games, you need to win at least five or six games to, to make the playoffs, to give yourselves a chance at a playoff run when Deshaun Watson returns. And winning week one is a huge step towards that because you look at the next three games, you get the Jets with Joe Flacco starting as their quarterback, the Steelers without Najee Harris and TJ Watt, potentially, and you get the Falcons who I don't think are very good at all. You're looking at a 3-1 and or 4-0 and start for this Browns team. I think if everything goes well. So I was very encouraged with the Browns' Week 1 performance. I thought the winning formula was there. Of course they, they made it hard. The Browns never make it easy. Um, the Panthers, Baker Mayfield caught fire in the second half. I thought Baker looked pretty average on Sunday at best. I thought besides those two blown coverages, he was nothing special. He did run in a touchdown if you want to give him that, but... I just thought the Browns' defense is flustering him, and I think it's going to be a long year for Carolina. I really do. And for Baker, looks like you didn't F them up. And if you were off the leash like those T-shirts you released ahead of this game, why didn't Matt Rule trust you to go get a touchdown instead of a field goal on that last drive and put the Browns away completely? Looks like Matt Rule kept you on a leash just like Kevin Stefanski did because they don't trust you, dude, because you're not very good. Browns win week one, Panthers lose, Baker Mayfield loses. And thank God Cade York made that kick because if Baker beat the Browns like that on a game-winning drive, I don't think Cleveland fans would ever hear the end of it. But it's really funny that since the Browns won, all these national media shows, all these ESPNs, these NFL networks who were hyping up this game for the Panthers and, and Baker to beat the Browns, the revenge game narrative that failed massively for the NFL this week, by the way. This revenge game narrative, bro, just got shut down as the Browns beat the Panthers. The other game I watched a good amount of that was a revenge game was the Broncos and the Seahawks and the Seahawks got a win over the Denver Broncos and I'm in this Survivor League with a couple of my buddies. Um well, with a, there's a lot of people in the in this Survivor League, but basically what the Survivor League is is you pick a lock of the week um and you pick them, that's your lock, that's your team that's going to win. And if they win, you don't get a strike, you you move on. And It's throughout the whole season. If your team loses or ties, um, you get a strike. Um, it's a 62-person league, Survivor League. 38 people picked the Broncos to beat the Seahawks. So they already have one strike. You only get two. I picked the Ravens, so I was pretty happy the Seahawks won this game. But... It wasn't a great performance for the Broncos. I talked a little bit about it in the in the fastest five minutes, but Nathaniel Hackett put on one of the worst coaching performances late game clock management situations I've ever seen. And I watched Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens coach the Browns in the last five years. So here's what the scenario was. Russell Wilson completes about I don't know, it's third and 13. He completes about an eight yard screen pass to Javante Williams with about A minute left. Okay, so there's 40 on the play clock. The Broncos have three timeouts. Instead, they line up to go for it on fourth and five. They line up to go for it on fourth and five. Um, But then they don't run a play, they take a timeout after wasting 40 seconds. And then instead of talking what the play is going to be, running out your $24 million or however much money he's making quarterback who you just acquired in the offseason to get you five yards and get you an actual field goal range. The Broncos trot out Brandon McManus, who in his career is one for nine from field goals attempted beyond 60 yards for a chance at a game-winning 64-yard field goal that goes wide left. It was just absurdly bad late-game coaching by Nathaniel Hackett. And the Seahawks, shout-out to Geno Smith, Pete Carroll, the Seahawks team, they won a game that nobody was expecting them to win. And that's that's hard to do, but it just shows in the NFL that anybody can beat anybody on any given Sunday. But the Broncos were just making shooting themselves in the foot. The Seahawks won this game, but I also think the Broncos lost this game. The Broncos fumbled twice when they had the ball at the 1-yard line, fumbled twice when they were about to punch it in for a touchdown. Um, and they had a missed field goal, obviously, at the end of the game. That was a big mistake. So those three areas right there, the two fumbles at the goal line and the late-game clock management by Nathaniel Hackett just lost this game for Denver, in my opinion. That was another good, uh, game, good game for Seattle. And the Browns and Seahawks single-handedly shut down this NFL revenge week one narrative that the NFL was trying to put out there. The other game I watched the majority of, so yeah, I'm recapping the games that I watched the majority of that I, that I want to talk about. The other game I watched the majority of was the um, the Steelers-Bengals game. So yeah, I had, a, I had my friend Gabe over, um, shout out Gabe if you're listening, uh, to watch the Browns-Panthers game. We put that one on the main TV. He had the Steelers-Bengals game on his computer, and so I was kind of watching both games at the same time. And then once after the Browns game ended, CBS put on the Steelers-Bengals game on the main TV. So that was good. We got to watch both those games, but what can I say about the Steelers, man? Um, obviously it feels like the Steelers lost the game because TJ Watts going to be about out about six weeks until the end of October. Najee Harris got hurt. He had that Liz Frank injury. Um, Liz frantic, Liz Frank, I don't know how to say it. Um, injury on his foot in the preseason. It kept him out a little bit. It's a serious injury. If you remember the list frantic injury is what Matt Corral, the rookie uh, backup quarterback for the Carolina Panthers was dealing with and why he's out for the year. So you don't want to be tricky with this list frantic injury, but so that's why they took Najee Harris out of this game. And it looks like Najee Harris could miss two to three weeks. So the fact that they're getting Najee and Najee back that soon is positive. And the fact that they're getting T.J. Watt back at all is a big win for the Steelers team because the cameras picked up T.J. Watt saying, I think I tore my pec. Um, and it turns out he didn't tear his pec, and then it doesn't need surgery, so he will be back in October. But what a good job by the Steelers' defense, um, defense especially. Minka Fitzpatrick was named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. He had a pick six, and he had a blocked the blocked extra point that sent this game to overtime. They were able to turn over Joe Burrow five times, I believe, four of those being interceptions, and the defense really won the game for them. And when TJ Watt's out there, and I say that because these next six weeks, I can see them struggling a little bit without TJ Watt, but when TJ Watt's out there, this defense is a good, is as good as any defense in football. The three-headed monster on defense they have of J, uh, JJ TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward and um, Micah Fitzpatrick is as good as any three defensive players in football. So I was really impressed with the Steelers' defense. And Joe Burrow looks really bad. Um, He threw four interceptions, like I mentioned. And a lot of people crowned him in the offseason as the best quarterback in the NFL. Yes, Joe Burrow had a great year last year. They went to the Super Bowl. Yes, I think Joe Burrow is going to have a good year this year. Do I think he's a good quarterback? Yeah. Do I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league? Probably. Do I think he's a top five quarterback? No. I just don't think so. Do I think the Bengals could have a letdown year this year after making the Super Bowl last year? Yes, I do. Jamar Chase was good, like he always is. Um, But this Zach Taylor... I'm not sold on him being a great coach. And Joe Burrow throw, throwing four interceptions, who knows? Maybe since Joe Burrow got his appendix out in the offseason, he isn't the same quarterback. It, that's just a joke. But four picks in your first game is not, not a good start. I think they will bounce back this week against the Cowboys, though. But it was a weird start to the season in a game which I thought the Steelers would win. But then I remind myself last year uh, in a game I thought the Bengals would win, excuse me. Um But then I remind myself last year, the Bills played the Steelers week one in Buffalo, and the Bills beat them, and I was not expecting that at all, too. But it was a big win for the Steelers, and like I said, it shows that, and week one showed me that all four of these AFC North teams are going to be competitive and competing, at least for a playoff spot, in my opinion. Another game I wanted to touch on was the Bills-Rams Thursday night kickoff game that happened last Thursday right after we recorded. Um, Last week, I picked the Rams to win this game. I thought, you know, Super Bowl champs at home, they're underdogs. I'm going to take the Rams. I think the Rams are going to win this game. Boy, was I wrong. I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl. In the preview episode a couple weeks ago, I said the Bills are going to meet the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. That's what I said. I stand by that. And after watching this game, man, was I thrilled! Josh Allen was throwing the ball down the field, left and right. Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, didn't matter. Josh Allen had a great game. He's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in in football. I think he threw for four touchdowns, ran for one, maybe, or th- no, they only scored thirty one. So I think he ran for three, or ran for one, and threw for three. But the Bills defense sacked Matt Stafford seven times as well. So that was another positive for the Buffalo Bills. And it looks like this team, the weakness they ha- I was worried about was ru- their running game. But they have three quality backs in Zach Moss, Cook, and uh, Singletary. But I was very excited by this Bills performance. I thought the Rams had a little bit of a letdown week one. Didn't put up a great performance, but I think they'll be fine. I just think the Bills were hungrier and ready to win that game. Um, And I thought Josh Allen is... I think Josh Allen and the Bills, ladies and gentlemen, are coming for blood this year. They're sick and tired of losing to Kansas City in the playoffs. They feel like they got screwed last year. I'll tell you that right now. Josh Allen and the Bills think they got screwed last year. With that overtime rule, that 13 seconds where they're up th- three on the Chiefs. They lose in overtime, and they don't even get a crack at the ball. The Bills team, are, this Bills team is ready. They're going to make some noise this season, and Thursday was just a preview of the damage they can do this season. And I'm very excited to watch this Bills team this year. And I think, like I said, they're, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. All right, so that's enough of Week 1. Let's get to our Week 2 picks and preview. And week one, our picks were all right. We, um, we went nine and five in week one. Um, so let's try and do better in week two. One of the best games of the week this week is the Thursday night football on Amazon. Um, prime video, Amazon prime video, the exclusive streaming home of Thursday night football. That's one of the best games this week. It's the chargers against the chiefs in Kansas city. um, I do think the Chargers are going to win the AFC West division, but I do think the Chiefs are going to win on Thursday night. Uh, Mahomes showed me that even without Tyree Kill, Mahomes is the best quarterback in football, and I feel like an idiot for uh, doubting him at all coming into this year. I do think the Chargers are going to win the AFC West still, but... I knew the Chargers would probably split with the Chiefs, and the Chiefs aren't going to lose this game at home on Thursday night, in my opinion, so I'll take the Chiefs over the Chargers. The Browns at home hosting Joe Flacco and the Jets. The Browns better win this game, and I'm going to pick them to win this game. Um, I think the defense will make life difficult on Joe Flacco. Uh, Joe Flacco threw 57 pass attempts last week in a 24-9 loss against the Ravens. 57 pass attempts. But I think the Browns defense will make life difficult on Joe Flacco. I know the Jets defense did well against the Ravens running game, but who is the Ravens running back? Kenyon Drake? You know, like the Browns two headed monster and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt will be able to move the ball on the Jets defense. And I think as long as Jacoby Brissett doesn't turn the ball over or make mistakes, that the Browns should be able to win against the Jets and go 2 0 for the first time since 1994 to start a season. So that would be something to see there as well. Commanders at Lions in Detroit. This is a 50-50 game for me. Um, I liked Carson Wentz's performance for the most part in week one. I thought he didn't make too many mistakes. He did have, I think, two or three interceptions. He had two interceptions on back-to-back throws, but he had four TDs. As for the Lions, I think they're going to win this game. I'll pick the Lions at home just because they're at home. I'm pretty much 50-50 on the Commanders-Lions game this week, but I think the Lions are going to win. Buccaneers going to New Orleans to take on the Saints and this is my upset pick of the week. I'm going to take the Saints over the Buccaneers. Only 20% of people on the ESPN app are picking the Saints to beat the Buccaneers and I'm going to just I'm going to do that because for whatever reason since Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, one of the greatest football players of all time, has been in Tampa Bay. The Saints have owned him. I think the Saints are 3 and 0 in regular season or 4 and 0 in the regular season against Tom Brady or 3-0. 3-1, and something like that, and they did lose to him in the playoffs. But for whatever reason, the Saints get up for the, this game against the Buccaneers, and I think the Saints will win this game with Jameis Winston. I really like the Saints' receiving core, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Lander, Chris Olave, and I think the Saints' defense is one of the best in football. So I think the Saints are going to give a Buccaneers offense that didn't look earth-shatteringly good last week a little bit of trouble, and I think the Saints are going to beat the Bucs. So that's my upset pick of the week. Panthers favored at New York. I was encouraged with the Giants' performance. So I'm going to take the Giants to beat Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. A big reason why, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley looked like the Saquon of old. Last Sunday against the Titans, he was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. And if Sunday against the Panthers showed me anything in the Browns game, it's that you can run all over the Panthers' defense. And that's what I expect Saquon Barkley to do. So I will go ahead and take the Giants to beat the Panthers. Steelers at home versus New England. I'm going to take the Patriots to win this game, even though the Steelers are favored, because I don't. I think the Steelers are going to be without T.J. Watt and Najee Harris. And if that's the case, I don't see the Steelers winning this game. That's just my opinion. Patriots didn't look great in Week 1 um, at all in the 20-7 loss to the Dolphins. Not completely sold on Mac Jones, but... I think Bill Belichick should be able to coach his team to a win, especially if the Steelers don't have T.J. Watt and Najee Harris. Colts at Jaguars, give me the Colts. I think the Colts bounce back from the tie. I think Jonathan Taylor's going to run wild on that Jags defense, and I think the Colts win a close one in Jacksonville. Dolphins at Ravens, give me the Ravens. Um, I thought both these teams looked pretty good in week one, Um, but I do think on the road, the uh, the Dolphins are going to have a little bit more trouble with Lamar and the Ravens than they did at home with the Patriots. So I'll go ahead and take Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, to win that game. Falcons at Rams, one of my locks of the week. The Rams are going to win this game at home. The Falcons will not win this game. Rams are going to be upset with themselves for dropping that week one game in the fashion they dropped it against the Bills. And I think Sean McVay will have his guys ready to go against the Falcons. And I think the Rams win by two touchdowns. Seahawks at 49ers, I think the 49ers will bounce back at home and win this game. I think Trey Lance, part of the reason I think Trey Lance and the Niners played so bad in Soldier Field is because it was literally literally a monsoon of rain, so I think the Rams are going to win, uh, 49ers, excuse me, are going to win that game. Bengals at Cowboys, one of my locks of the week as well. I'm gonna take the Cincinnati Bengals to beat the Dallas Cowboys. Not only because I think the Bengals are more talented, and I think Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow will have a bounce back game, but because the Cowboys will be starting Cooper Rush, who is a backup quarterback. And I don't see the Cowboys winning with him at the helm. Texans going to Bron to going to Denver to take on the Broncos. And I'm gonna say Broncos country, let's ride. And I think the Broncos beat the Texans in mile high. Cardinals at Raiders. This is kind of a early season loser leaves town game. I think the loser of this game is not making the playoffs. With that being said, I think the Raiders have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Cardinals. And it's in Vegas. Give me the Raiders. Bears at Packers. Bears trying to start 2-0. Beat their arch rival Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers just doesn't lose to the Bears in prime time, so I'm gonna go with the Packers. And then a Monday night football doubleheader. Titans at Bills. For whatever reason, the past couple years, the Bills have had trouble with the Titans in primetime. But this season is not like those other seasons. I'm going to go with the Bills. Vikings at Eagles in Philadelphia. Two of my playoff teams, in the NFC. I really like the Vikings in this one. And I think the Vikings go on the road and win this game. So that is what our Week 2 picks are. We are going to take a quick break when we come back. MLB postseason push for your Cleveland Guardians and other MLB storylines. College Football Week three preview and much, much more. Stay with us after a word from our sponsors at Anchor. Welcome back to season four, episode 18 of the Jack of All Trades sports podcast. And your Cleveland Guardians are 10 games above 500. They're 75 and 65. They sit three games ahead of the Chicago White Sox, five games ahead of the Minnesota Twins for first place. In the American League Central, they play the Angels today at 1.10 p.m. In a little, well, exactly one hour from now when this is being recorded. And then they have the White Sox tomorrow for one, which is a makeup game. And then they have a big weekend series against the Twins for five. And I'll tell you what, if they can somehow win all six of those games, I think the division will be long put away, in my opinion. I think the Guardians had the best chance to win this division right now. I've said that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, last week I talked to you guys a little – I was a little concerned last week. I was. Before that Twin series, the weekend, I think we were only up two games on the Twins, and Plesak and Savali had just gotten hurt. Then we go into Minnesota and sweep the Twins. And we've taken two in a row against the Angels, and the Guardians have won five – straight games, and they have opened up a big lead in the Central, and their magic number is 19. And so what a magic number is, if you guys don't know, it is any combination of Guardians wins and White Sox losses that end add up to 19 means the Guardians will win the Central. A big thing to watch, you know, they have three games this season against the White Sox left, five games this season against the Twins left, A big thing to watch for this Guardians team is they are currently, like I said, three games up on the White Sox, five games up on the Twins. But this season in MLB Baseball, Major League Baseball, there is no game 163 to decide a tiebreaker for a division. So the way that they decide a tiebreaker between two teams is the head-to-head record versus said team. So, the Guardians, in order to take the tiebreaker and clinch the tiebreaker versus both the White Sox and the Twins, only need to win one game out of the remaining games against the White Sox and then one game out of the remaining games against the Twins. And if they do that, they have the tiebreaker. And in any event of a tie between the three teams, the Guardians would have the tiebreaker over both the White Sox and the Twins. So, that's something to keep an eye on that's huge. But um if the Guardians keep putting taking care of business and winning these games, there's going to be no need for a tiebreaker. They are 75 and 65, 35 and 30 at home, 40 and 35 on the road, 38 and 34 uh versus teams that are above 500. And they're playing great baseball, folks. The bullpen has been outstanding. Emmanuel Clase, James Carenchak, Trevor Steffen, Sam Henches, all those guys have been very very good. You're getting amazing, amazing, amazing contributions from your rookies and your your rookies and your young players. Oscar Gonzalez hit the go-ahead two-run home run last night. He's having a great, great season for Cleveland. Stephen Kwan, in my opinion, is one of the top five rookies in baseball and one of the best left fielders in baseball. I think he should win a Gold Glove. He's been outstanding as well. Josh Naylor, I think, is going to be the comeback player of the year. Emmanuel Clase leads the MLB and saves with 34. He's the best closer in baseball. No trumpets needed. And then you got the three-headed monster in the starting pitching of Cal Quantrill, Shane Bieber, and Tristan McKenzie, who, in my opinion, can go toe-to-toe with these other three top three starters in the American League. You got your best two players, position players, Andre Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, they're doing things. Jose has a career high in RBIs. Andre Jimenez is having a career year. Heck, he even got Miles Straw. who's hitting 348 in his last seven games, and if he can get him going out of the nine hole for this playoff push, he's going to be a good piece because he's already one of the best out, uh, defensive outfielders in the game of baseball. The Guardians right now, they're thir- three, three up on the White Sox, five up on the Twins. As long as they take care of business against those two teams, I think they will clinch it. But if you want a prediction of when I think the Guardians, if they clinch, will clinch, I'm going to give you a game to, to keep circled on the calendar. Let me get to their schedule real quick. Hang on. I got their stats pulled up. I need their schedule pulled up to tell you their schedule. All right, so here we go. Cleveland-Guardians schedule. Come on. All right, Cleveland-Guardians schedule. So like I said, they have the Angels today at home, trying to get a sweep over the Angels, win six in a row. Then they have the White Sox tomorrow in Cleveland at home. Then they have a five-game home stand against the Twins before they travel to Chicago for three go to Texas for three, and end the game with a nine-game homestand, three against Tampa Bay, and six against the Kansas City Royals. If you want a prediction of what I think this Guardians team will clinch this this division, I would circle um, October 1st or September 30th against the Royals. I think they're going to take three out of five this weekend against the Twins. and I think out of the next four games against the White Sox, the Guardians will take at least two. And I think they will do well enough against Texas, do well enough today. They'll win today, I think, against the Angels. And I think after that Rays series, if they take two out of three, the first game in that Royals series on September 30th, or that second game in the Royals series on October 1st, could be when we see the Cleveland Guardians clinch the AL Central Division title for the first time since 2018. I, this team is so fun to watch, folks, and they're getting hot at the right time. Can you feel the magic of October, of September, and October baseball in the air in Cleveland? Because I sure can, and it's my favorite time of the year when the Guardians are in the playoffs. It's one of my, it's like my, my, my best sports experience as a fan is when the Guardians are competing for a World Series title. And I haven't gotten to see the playoffs much in my lifetime, but I think we're gonna see it again this year. And this Guardians team is fun. They're young. They're ahead of schedule. They're easy to root for. And so if you're not paying attention to them because of, that stu- because of the name change that you think is stupid, what are you doing? You're missing some good baseball, and you're missing out on a heck of a journey. And this Guardians team, I, I think they could be one of those teams that gets talked about as a team that can win a playoff series they're not supposed to, and that would be huge. Um, Terry Francona, one of the best managers in all of baseball. And I'm just really excited, not only for the playoffs this year, for this playoff push this year for the Guardians, but just in general for the future of this Guardians team. So right now, uh, I want to look at playoff odds right now for you guys on Fangraphs because Fangraphs is one of my go-to playoff, not playoff, baseball statistical websites along with Baseball Savant. But Fangraph's MLB playoff odds, here we go. So this was updated this morning, obviously. As it always is, updated every day, updated after every game. Right now, the Guardians, according to Fangraph's, have a 73% chance to win the division and a 73.5% chance to make the playoffs. 1.1% chance to win the World Series. So that is, that's good news for the Guardians. It seems like FanGraphs has their projected win loss total at 86 and 76 and they have them winning the central division. The only other races that look semi-interesting in the in baseball right now, wild card doesn't look very interesting in either league. Um, you look at Yeah, it seems like the wild card is wrapped pretty much wrapped up in both the AL and the NL. But the other race I've been keeping my eye eye on that we've talked about on this podcast before is that Braves-Mets race in the NL East. Right now, the Mets hold a half-game lead on the Atlanta Braves for first place in the NL East. Surprisingly, Fangraphs gives the Mets a 64% chance to win the division, and the Braves a 36% chance to win win the division, even though the Braves have been the team that has been making up all this ground doing all this stuff, and who I think is healthier right now than the Mets. Um, I don't know how this division's going to play out. If you would have asked me last week, I probably would have told you the Braves because Max Scherzer just went on the IL. But I, in all re- reality, I think it, it's, a, it's a coin flip. It can go either way. I'm not really sure when they play each other next. Let me look. The Mets are 89-54. and 54. The Braves are 88-54. and 54. They're neck and neck. The Mets' next five games. Trying to pull that up for you guys here. Let's see. Of course, Google doesn't like to work when I need it to. All right, there we go. So the next five games for the Mets are against the... They have Chicago... Oh, they, the Mets the Mets have the benefit in it of a way easier schedule than the Braves do. So that's what we're going to do. Let me give you the Braves schedule upcoming for the rest of the season. And let me give you a the, the Mets schedule for the rest of the season. So let's go with the Atlanta Braves. So we'll give you the Braves first. And then... The um the Mets. So the Braves, this is the rest of the, the season schedule for the Atlanta Braves. They they're at San Francisco tonight. Then they go then they go home for a six game homestand, three against the Braves, three uh three against the Phillies, three against the Nationals, excuse me. Then they go to Philly for four, Washington for three, then they end with the Mets and the Marlins. Meanwhile, so you know the Philly is a tough team that the Mets have the benefit of not seeing the rest of the year. The Phillies are a playoff team, in my opinion. They're going to be a playoff team. And so I think the Phillies, uh, the Phillies, the the, uh, the Mets um, catch a break there. As the Mets, the rest of the season, they have an NL Central uh, uh, stretch here as they face the Cubs tonight. Then they go to four in versus Pittsburgh, then they go to Milwaukee for three, Oakland for three, Miami for two, before they face Atlanta Friday, September 30th, Saturday October 1st, Sunday October 2nd circle that series because that could decide who wins it, but I think the overall, the Mets have an easier strength to schedule, so I would give the slight edge in this um, when we're talking about this race to the New York Mets um, so that's what, I would, that's what I would go with there All right, so let's get to the college football week two recap week three preview before we, you know, go our separate ways. So it was a wild week in college football. Um, We'll start with just telling the story of the week. Uh, Texas A&M entered the 2021 season ranked number six in the nation. That was last year, but they went on to finish eight and four and fall out of the AP top 25 at the end of the year. One year later, the Aggies again inexplicably started the year right at number 6. Unfortunately, giant coaching contracts and shiny recruiting classes do not guarantee immediate success on the field. Texas A&M led by Jimbo Fisher put together one of the worst offensive performances of their SEC era in a 17-14 loss to Sunbelt foe Appalachian State on Saturday. <clears throat> Texas A&M ran just two offensive plays in App State territory until its final drive of the game. Suddenly, the Aggies go from a dark horse playoff contender to an afterthought, with apparently, you know, nine losable games left if they lose to App State. That's how quickly fortunes can change in college football. And in a jam-packed Week 2, the Aggies were hardly the only ones. Number 8 Notre Dame also lost a Sun Belt game to Marshall, on a shocking pick 6 off quarterback Tyler Buckner. Number 25 Houston fell in double OT against rival Texas Tech thanks to a monster game from Red Raiders quarterback Donovan Smith. Number 24 Tennessee and number 20 Kentucky also pulled upsets over number 17 Pitt and number 12 Florida respectively. Down the state reigning Mountain West champ Utah State lost an embarrassing 35 to 7 game against FCS Weber State. Holy Cross shocked Buffalo on a last-second Hail Mary for three FCS upsets in one week. So let's get to our winners and losers. First winner, Kansas. Don't look now, but the Jayhawks are in sole possession of first place in the Big 12. They're on a winning streak after beating West Virginia 55-42 on the road. Kansas is 2-0 for the first time since 2011, and they won a big 12 opener for the first time since 2009. Their 55 55 point output is the most since, well, their last Big 12 victory for Kansas over Texas last year. Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels was unbelievable. 215 passing yards, 82 rushing rushing yards, and I don't want to get too far on this Kansas hype train, but I think Kansas is a serious Power 5 team now. And I think Coach Lance Leopold, who obviously I know very well, saw him coach against Kent State when he was at Buffalo. I think he's the star, folks. And I think he's got Kansas back to being a respectable football program in the Big 12. Another big winner this weekend was USC's offense. They put up 66 points against Rice in week one, but their fireworks came out against Stanford. They scored 35 first-half points with shocking ease, scoring on the first first five drives of the first half, and they cruised to a 41-28 to 28 victory over Stanford. Um, Jordan Addison, one of the best receivers in college football. He had 172 receiving yards and two touchdowns. The offense is already one of the best in the nation, USC, this offense is a big winner. My two big losers are uh, Notre Dame. They struggled to move the ball against Ohio State, but you know they would do it against Marshall at home, right? Right? No. The Fighting Irish threw three interceptions and averaged just 3.5 yards per carry against the Marshall Thundering Herd. Marcus Freeman became the first Notre Dame coach since Lou Holtz to start 0-2 and the first Notre Dame coach ever to start a career 0-3. My other big loser, Nebraska, and Scott Frost. Uh, I've had enough of this Nebraska team. Uh, put this program out of its misery, and it looks like they finally did. As they fired Scott Frost on Sunday during the Week One NFL slate. Um, on the same day that Adrian Martinez dropped forty points for Kansas State against Missouri, Nebraska lost forty-five to forty-two against Georgia Southern, a team picked number five in their own Sun Belt division. It snapped a 214-game streak of wins at home for the Cornhuskers when scoring more than 35 points. Big lose, big losers, Nebraska this week, and some overreactions if you guys want them. Um, one overreaction: Alabama is not a title-caliber team, specifically at wide receiver. Alabama squeaked out a 20 to 19 win over Texas. Um, when Jamison Williams and John Mechie last season got hurt, the Alabama offense suddenly fell to earth. Nick Saban had an entire offseason to fix the unit, adding a pair of highly touted transfers in Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell. Early returns are troubling. Heading into the fourth quarter, Alabama only had three total catchers for 14 yards from receivers in their 20-19 to 19 win. So you know, based off Saturday's game, I would say Alabama's receivers and the team as a whole is not title caliber. That's my one overreaction. Second overreaction: the Sun Belt was the best group of five perform, best group of five conference. The Sun Belt uh became the first group of five conference to beat multiple top ten opponents since two thousand three. Um, that wasn't all. Georgia Southern shocked shocked Nebraska. South Alabama beat Central Michigan, uh, and Georgia State pushed North Carolina to the limit. Funnily enough, the only bad spot was Coastal Carolina needing a late score to beat Gardner-Webb. It doesn't hurt that all three of the assumed AAC contenders, Houston, Cincinnati, and Central Florida, all have losses now. Who knows, maybe the Sun Belt can steal the New Year's 6 spot from the AAC. Let's wrap up the episode with a Week 3 college football preview. We're going to go ahead and pick some of the best games in week three of the college football season. So week three, Oklahoma at Nebraska. No shot Oklahoma loses this game. Kent State gave Oklahoma a great first half on Saturday night. Kent State was winning 3-0 the entire first half. Held Oklahoma's rushing offense to only seven yards in the first half. But then Oklahoma, you know, woke up in the second half and beat Kent state 33 to third 33 to three, but Oklahoma's not losing to Nebraska, especially Nebraska with a new coach BYU at Oregon. I'm going to take, it's a tough game. Oregon already has a loss this year, but BYU looked really good against Baylor at home, but it is in Oregon. I'm going to take BYU, uh, Penn state at Auburn. I'll take Penn state on the road at Auburn, Auburn, Is is 2-0, but they've looked not great. They struggled with Mountain West, San Jose State last week. Colorado at Minnesota. I will take the Golden Gophers to win that game. Troy at App State. I don't think App State has a letdown performance. I think App State's going to win. Mississippi State at LSU. Mike Leach, Brian Kelly. Give me Brian Kelly. Um, Texas Tech at NC State. I'll take NC State. Michigan State at Washington. Sneaky good game. Give me the Spartans. UCF at Florida Atlantic. I'll take Florida Atlantic. Uh, no, I'll take UCF. And the Miami at Texas a and I think Texas A&M has a bounce-back performance against the Miami team that I think is a little overrated. So those are my Week 3 college football picks. And with that, we will say so long for this week's episode of Jack of All Trades. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jot Sports Pod. That's at J O T Sports Pod. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Jack Bernie TV at, or at The Real J Burns. That's at The Real J B E R N Z. I'll be reporting on the Kent State game at home against Long Island. So if you want some updates from that, follow at Jack Burney TV. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode. And we will be back next week with another award winning episode. Until then, I've been Jack Burney. Have a great week, everybody. And this is Jack Burney signing off.